0: We are to the third Sunday in Advent. Does it not feel like we got here really, really quickly? Uh, it's kind of hard to believe that we have one Sunday left between now and Christmas. Uh, it is upon us. The time is short, and we're actually going to spend our time today in the Word talking a lot about the issue of time and timing. It's funny when you really get down to it, how much of our stress in life is tied to just that—how much we stress over time, sort of. Uh, a two-sided coin, and we stress about both sides of it. On the one hand, we stress about not having enough time, don't we? I mean, we we get stressed out over, oh, my goodness, we've only got 10 days till Christmas, and there's so much to be done. There's gifts to be bought and all this stuff that's got to be done. And there's so many things in life that feel that way. We're we're stressed that we're not going to have enough time to get done what we've got to get done. And yet, at the same time, we'll stress out over how long it takes to ever get to certain things that we long for am I ever going to be finished with school? Will I ever graduate? Am I ever going to find a job? Will I ever find a man or a woman? Will I ever get married? Will I ever have a baby? Will I ever get to retire? We stress over how long everything takes and at the same time we're stressed over not having enough time. We, we really do spend a lot of time stressed out about time and it's funny how we relate to the issue of time. in fact, I would suggest to you, we have three groups of people in the room when it comes to how we cope with the issues of time. Let, let's see who's who within the room today. Let me just ask you this: If you have an appointment or you're going to an event, you're going to a party or something, if you must arrive at least 10 to 15 minutes before the set time in order to feel that you are on time, let's see your hands right now. Oh, my goodness! Half or more of the room. Okay, there's a second group of us. I'm in the second group. And I don't ever want to be late. And I don't want to be more than two minutes early. I want to be on time. Anybody in the room like that besides me? There you go. We want to be precise. Now, the third group, nobody's going to want to own it. Nobody wants to raise their hand. But you struggle to ever be on time for anything. Let's see your hands. All right, we've got some honest Christians in the room. I hear you. The truth be told, we all struggle with issues of timing, and I never noticed it until this year how many times within the Christmas story the issue of time comes up. You know, we only have a couple of chapters of the Bible devoted to this, the latter part of Matthew 1 and Matthew 2 and part of Luke 2 that tell us the the, the heart of the Christmas story 16 times in that little bit of scripture, basically about two chapters of scripture, 16 references to time and timing. God's timing in our lives is a really, really big deal. And we squirm against that. We, we hate being in God's waiting room, don't we? But there's a lot of, of good stuff for us to learn while we're there. And some really good stuff for us to take in in relation to God's timing as fleshed out in the Christmas story that we're going to look at today. I want to just read for you again if you want to follow along. I'm going to be in Luke Chapter 2, the opening verses, where Luke says, At that time, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. And this first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Just one little snapshot of the heart of this story that changes all of history and how God's timing was so peculiar in this. I want to just point to you, five different lessons that we learn about God's timing from the Christmas story. And then I want to take just a little bit of time at the end to talk about what are we supposed to do when we're caught in these in-between places where we're waiting for God to move, when we're waiting for something that we know that needs to happen. So if you want to follow along in your outlines, we begin with just what Jesus' birth tells us about God's timing. And the first one is this that God has a timetable for every important thing in our lives. There's some comfort in knowing that, I hope there is, in realizing all the important stuff that needs to happen in your life. God has a plan for that, and he has a timetable for those things happening. That was true of the Christmas story. Galatians 4 says this, But when the time was right, God sent his son, and a woman gave birth to him, so he could set us free from the law, and we could become God's children. Now, it's a peculiar thing to consider. It says, at the right time, Jesus came. But it's sort of odd, isn't it, that he didn't come sooner or that he didn't come later? I mean, the world had been longing for Jesus' arrival for centuries, generation after generation after generation, had held on to the promise of the prophets, the promises of God, that he would send the Savior and that he would set things right, but generation after generation, lived and died with that promise unfulfilled. And yet scripture says, at just the right time, Jesus came. Even for us, all these centuries later, we look back and go, we don't fully understand why that was the right time. But it was exactly the right time. And all of world history revolves around that moment in time. Well, similarly, God has an appointed time for the major things that are going to happen in your life. But I want us to, to camp on that for just a minute and consider what that means. You know, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven. What does that really mean? It's funny the things that we remember years and years after they happened that seem insignificant at the time. One of the memories that I carry from my schooling days goes back 30 years ago. I remember the very first day, the very first class that I ever attended in divinity school. Now hundreds and hundreds of hours of classes I couldn't tell you what got talked about on any of, you know, specific days for most of those days, but I remember the first hour of the first day. Dr. Timothy George, who was the the founding dean of the divinity school that I attended, a brilliant Brilliant, godly man. I wish I could go back and take that year of church history under him. Again, it's the only class I ever got to take under him. So the first hour of the first day of Divinity School, I'm getting to study under the founding dean of the school. It was such a only class I ever get to take. such a privilege to be there. And I still remember what he talked about on the first day. He's going to be teaching his church history, but he doesn't talk about important events in history. He doesn't talk about any important characters or any important dates in the first day. The first day, what he talks about is two words, Kronos and Kairos. These are the two Greek words for time. Now, Americans are all very familiar with Kronos because this is TikTok tock time. We measure everything in Kronos. We are so time-oriented. We, we laugh about the fact that every time we go to Africa for mission trips, the Africans chuckle at us and they say, you Americans have watches, but we Africans have time. And there's so much truth to that. Because as Americans, we're always on a schedule. We're always measuring Kronos time, TikTok time. What, what time is the next thing that's happening? What time have we got to be there? When is this going to be over? It, everything is about Kronos time. You, you arrive based on Kronos time. We all know the service starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, but only God knows when Mark's going to stop preaching today. That's, you know, that, that is not on Kronos time, let me tell you. We, we love TikTok time. Because, yes, for <laughs> beginnings and endings. But there's another kind of time. It's called Kairos. And it's not TikTok time. It is the fullness of time. It is the opportune time. It is the the fitting time for something to happen. And so much of Scripture revolves around and talks about Kairos time. You know, we... we Know of a wonderful ministry. Penny is a part of this wonderful ministry called Kairos. Such a fitting name. When people are in prison, we send them to prison for an amount of time that's Kronos time. We we say, you committed this crime, so you're going to do three years in prison. Tick-tock. Get busy counting down three years. But a ministry like Kairos helps people to understand your time here is not first and foremost about the tick-tock time, counting down the days. Let this be the, the appropriate time, the fitting time, the fullness of time for your life to be changed and for God to do a work in you. Kairos time it is so beyond just measuring tick-tock time because... We, we want to know what is the moment on the calendar, what is the day on the calendar, the moment in the day when this thing that I've been waiting for is going to happen. And so many times, while God has the foreknowledge of what that is for God, it's not about the day on the calendar or the moment in the day that this is supposed to happen. God is waiting for things to be right and for our hearts to be ready and for people to be right. And a lot of times, our hearts and our Our readiness for something will adjust the date on the calendar that something's supposed to happen. I'll give you just one of many examples that I could give you. Back when Jackie and I were dating, we had been dating for over a year, and I just got to that point. I knew she was the woman I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. I was convinced. I was convinced to the point I had spent a bunch of time shopping for a ring and looking at diamonds. I mean, I do my homework on stuff like this. I'd spent countless hours working on this and and got it ordered and got it in hand. And I am ready. I mean, I want to tell you, I'm one of those that's like uh, fire ready set. You know, I'm ready to go. And so I've got the ring in hand. But the Spirit of God so clearly said to me, it's not time. Now, by my standard, by my measure, I'm like, Lord, let's, let's check this again because I'm ready to go. <laughs> got the ring. I'm fired up. Got the woman. I am in love. I'm ready to do this thing. And the Spirit said, it's not time. I held that ring for months, waiting for God to say, the time is Right. I don't even know what he's waiting on. I don't know what I'm waiting on. I'm not scared. I'm, I am ready. But I have such a clear thing in my heart where God's going, the time isn't right. Got to the last week in July. I don't know where the Spirit of God so clearly said, green light, it's the fullness of time. It is the Kairos of God. Go ahead. July 31st, I asked Jackie to marry me. Now let me tell you, She looked at me for a moment like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I, I don't know whether she was ready and thought the time was right, but she said yes, and three months later we were married. But, you know, from God's perspective, it wasn't that July the 31st of 2014 was the day that we needed to get engaged. I am absolutely convinced because there were both of our hearts and other people whose lives would be impacted by that that there were a lot of things that had to be ready for the time to be right and so from God's perspective there was an appointed time and it wasn't that the time had to be 6:30 p.m on July the 31st 2014 but there was a right time does that make sense there was a time for us to get married that time ended up being November the 1st but It's not that on God's calendar he was going, I've known all along that was the right day for you to get married. No, there's a bigger picture, and all of those things came together, and they happened to land on that day. Understand, God has a timetable for the key things in your life, but the issue is not for you to figure out the date so much as it is to get in sync with what God is wanting to do to prepare you for that day. God does have a timetable for what matters in your life. And we can trust him with those things. The second truth is this. God usually doesn't tell us the details in advance about what it is that he's got planned in his timetable. He has a timetable. He has a master plan. And he usually does not share it in detail. I mean, think about poor Mary and Joseph. Their story is such a vivid reminder of, of how God gives us just just enough of His plan to keep us moving forward. I mean, think about their deal. We we know the whole story. We're always looking back at the little dribs and drabs of information that they're given with the full knowledge. Well, Mary, you ought to get it. Joseph, you just ought to be all excited. We have to force ourselves to sort of suspend our knowledge of the rest of the story and go, my goodness, what must it have been like for this woman who's probably only a teenager at the time to be told by God through the angel Gabriel that you're about to be pregnant and no, you're not married yet, but you're about to be pregnant and the Holy Spirit's going to do this thing and you're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now run with that. Well, don't you have about 150 follow-up questions to that bit of information? Well, that's all you get for now. God typically is not going to give you all the details up front, and we want them. I am a detail-oriented person. I want to know it all, and he's not going to give it to you. Usually not up front. He's going to give you enough information to get you moving in the, the right direction and leaning into him, listening for the next part of the story. And instinctively, that's not how we want it to work out. That's not what we expect. Ecclesiastes 3, again, Solomon says, God has given them, talking about us, God has given them a desire to know the future. That's the truth, isn't it? He put that in every one of us. We want to know the future. He does everything, he being God, does everything just right And on time, but people can never completely understand what he's doing. Boy, that's the truth, isn't it? You look back and go, God has always been on time, though there was a bunch of times I thought he was going to be late. He just barely did it on time, but he did it right on time. And he always did it right, but we never completely understand what he's doing. And we long to know it in advance. We do some goofy things to find that out in advance too, don't we? I mean, you ever consider the stupid stuff we'll do because we want some glimpse into the future? We'll go to idiotic palm readers and, you know, play around with all kinds of stuff we're never supposed to touch in an attempt, we'll want to communicate with the dead in an attempt to find out about the future. God's put a desire for us to know the future. He He put it in us but only he knows the future. So it begs the question, why doesn't God go ahead and tell us that stuff in detail? I mean, don't you ever wonder that? Why didn't God just lay it out for you? I'll suggest to you three reasons why I think he doesn't do it. And the first is because we can't handle the truth. It would overwhelm us, wouldn't it? I mean, when you really think about it, I'm so glad that I don't know most of the future because I spend most of my time so stressed out about the bad part of the future. I mean, there's good and bad ahead of you. and We wouldn't focus on the good. We'd stress about the bad. So he's being good to withhold the details about the future from us. second reason I think he doesn't do it is because we'd try and mess with it. We would try and change the future before it ever gets here. We'd be back to the future. We'd, we'd, we'd be like characters in that. You know, we'd want to mess with that. But I think most importantly, the third reason is because he ultimately wants us to learn to trust him. And if we just had a detailed roadmap along the way... We wouldn't feel nearly as much of a, of a need to press into God, would we? we got the map. We've we got the plan. We don't need God so much. He wants us to learn to trust him in this. Jesus said in Acts 1-7, the disciples once again are clamoring for answers about the future. When, when are you going to establish the kingdom? When are we going to take power? When, when's this all going to happen? And to them, Jesus said, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. That's a word for us. He's not going to give you the details in advance. Thirdly, God is never in a hurry, and he's never late. He's just right on time. How many of you have found that to be true in life? He is not in a hurry to make it happen, but he is on time. How does he always get that right, by the way? How is it that he is never late? I think it's because God exists not only in, in time, and he does exist with us within time, but he also exists outside of time. And this is where it gets really weird, and I won't go far down this road because we can't fully comprehend this. Einstein did help us to understand that time is not a constant. And, I mean, you know, just as a for instance, the faster you move through space, the more time is compressed and, or expands. The closer you get to the speed of light, it changes drastically. God is able to do all of these things, so God has the capacity to be with us in this moment of time, but also because he exists in all times and places, he's able to be present and, and see and experience the future and be present in the past, and that blows our minds to consider. The good news for us is simply this. Nothing's going to catch God by surprise. God's never going to go, Oh my goodness, was that supposed to happen today? I totally forgot that. No, he's totally on top of it. He knows what's coming for you, and he's taking care of you. 2 Peter three eight says, never forget this. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day because he's in all those places at once. That's pretty amazing. And God has the right perspective on time and that is an eternal perspective. We, we are so bound by what we think we need right now and God is seeing not only what we feel so urgently today but he's seeing what we're going to need in the bigger picture and he's committed to supplying that. But it sure doesn't change the fact that we get sick of being in the waiting room waiting for what we've been needing, does it? Now, I want to encourage you as we think about this to to consider this, that many of us come through adolescence or into adult life having a real drive and passion, a real vision for what is supposed to happen in our lives, or at least some significant piece of what God wants to do with our lives. You identify with what I'm talking about, that there's something that you just are so passionate about, you feel so drawn toward, and you just feel like this is supposed to be a big part of what my life is about. And one of the really challenging things that can happen in life is that thing that you feel so strongly called toward doesn't come to fruition soon. There's a dream, there's a vision that's in you, and you've been living for decades, and it still hasn't happened, and you begin to really wonder and, and doubt, is God ever going to bring this to pass? And that can take on all, all kinds of forms. I mean, sometimes that's about career kind of stuff, career and calling, that type of thing. And you, you just have always known in your, your gut that God's calling you to do this kind of thing. Sometimes it's a relational deal. That you just know in the deepest part of you that you're called to be a husband, you're called to be a wife, you're called to be a parent, and you hadn't found that right man or that right woman. There hadn't been a child in the equation yet. And how's that supposed to play out as the years pass? Sometimes that sense of calling is a real ministry-driven thing, that you know that God has a calling for your life to do something that has real kingdom value and impact on other people's lives, and yet you've never seen it fleshed out. Can you identify with what I'm talking about? I mean, I can point to any number of things in my life. I knew at a fairly young age that God was calling me to the pastorate, and as I went off to college and was training and preparing, it became abundantly clear That Pastoring was a part of God's calling for my life Not the totality of it But it was a significant part of that But I spent years In school And serving as The janitor of Two different churches Years serving as an intern Years serving as a student pastor Knowing that I would spend The majority of my life or, Or thinking that I would Knowing that I was called to this thing Of being the pastor of a church And A lot of those years squirming, thinking, God, you put this in me. I feel this sense of call, and yet you never open the door. Or every time it seems like a door is about to open, you say no. Waiting, waiting, waiting. What are we waiting on, God? I'm ready. Don't you know I'm ready? And yet God has a timetable and says, "Mm, I don't think so. Not so much. I'm not sure you're as ready as you think you are. I remember so vividly when God put it in my heart that church planting was now a part of the equation. I'm not just calling you to pastor. I'm calling you to plant something that's going to start from scratch. And I told you, I mean, it's just my wiring. It's a dangerous thing to tell me a part of the story because once I realize that, I'm like, all right, God, just point the direction. We'll start tomorrow. And God said, nope, not tomorrow, not yet. He was not in a rush. He planted that in my heart. And I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, it's just a little spark and maybe one day it'll it'll light a fire. No, it was a, a forest fire in my heart. This is God's calling for me. I'm ready to do it. God's timing wasn't to do it the moment that he put it in my heart. And the challenge for us is to carry what God has planted in us, even when There's a significant period of time that has to pass before he brings it about. That can be a real challenge, that you don't let go of the vision that God has given you. In Habakkuk 2.3, you probably didn't have your quiet times in Habakkuk lately. There's a great word, though, from the Lord in Habakkuk 2.3. God says, at the time that I have decided, my words will come true. You can trust what I say about the future. It may take a long time, but keep on waiting. It will happen. Boy, for somebody on watching online, for somebody in the room, that was the word from the Lord for you today. A dream that you have almost given up on, maybe you've, you've quit holding on to, and the Lord is saying to you, don't give up. Just because it didn't happen as quickly as you thought that it would, don't give up. So here's my question to you is, What vision has God put in your heart that's yet unfulfilled? Now, be clear about this. We don't get to make up whatever we want to and then hold God to this and say, all right, God, you've got to make it happen. There are plenty of things I've dreamed up that aren't ever going to happen. And sometimes only with the passing of time can I sort out what I made up and what God put in me. Because the things that God puts in us, they endure. And with the passing of time, there are some things that I was fired up about in the moment. And with a little bit of passing time, I look back and go, that was so silly and that was so me. God wasn't in that in the least. I just wanted that thing to happen. But those those visions that God has given us that are going to take time to come to fruition, you don't escape them. They keep coming back up. And it's it's so funny how sometimes he'll fulfill things in ways that we just never could have dreamed. Can I just give you one personal one from my own life that I found great pleasure in? When I was in high school and college, there were two driving things that were just competing issues for my attention when I would think about my calling and my future. And they were medicine and ministry. I had such a strong interest and passion in both, and that's not all that unusual because they're both helping and and caring callings. They're, They're very very interrelated, but uh, I mean, I just cannot easily communicate to you how strongly I felt about both of those things, that's why I started Alabama pre-med, and when I finally, boy, in college, really wrestled between those two, and finally landed at a place that I knew full-time vocational ministry was what I was supposed to do, and so I, I pursued that full speed, got my undergraduate degree, went off to divinity school for four and a half years, did that deal, loved it all the way, but here's the weird thing, I could never shake this incredible draw that i felt toward medicine and i'm I'm like what am i supposed to do with that i mean i felt just about as strongly about that as i did about ministry and that's saying a lot and so just you know year after year that doesn't go away and at times i would kind of scratch my head and say is god going to do something really weird in my life and like at some later stage in the middle of my life send me off to medical school that doesn't make any sense why would he you know have me spend all this time in school and training for ministry and serving in ministry and I just can't imagine he'd ever send me to med school. That doesn't make sense. But what am I supposed to do? I can never get rid of this thing in my life. For years and years, I had no clue that what he would ultimately do with that is, and he would wait until I'm in my 40s to get to do this, but have the opportunity to create a medical clinic. And by the way, counseling was also a piece in that for me too. I ended up with my undergraduate degree being in psychology, that he called me and allowed me to lead in creating a medical and dental and counseling clinic to serve people who were uninsured or who didn't have the money to access medical care, dental care, and counseling services to create the Hope Center. And when we did that, it wasn't like I saw in advance how God was pushing, piecing these things together. It was only when we were up and running and seeing patients every day of the week. And it's not that I'm seeing patients. I just get to go over and pray with people and talk with people who are going in to see the doctor or coming out of seeing the doctor or the counselor. And having the time of my life every day that we're doing that, that I realized this was God's fulfillment of that thing that he planted in me a long time ago. It was never to be a doctor. It was to be involved in ministry, but that... There would be the overlap of medicine with that, that we get to do all these medical mission trips where we connect the gospel to medical care every day that we do ministry. And only with the passing of time do you look back and go, oh, that's how God was doing that. He was in no rush to get me there. I was going to be in my 40s before I got to do any of that. But he has a plan for fulfilling the vision that he puts in you. And it may not look like what you thought it was going to look like, but he will bring it to pass. But you're going to have to hold on to his promise. You with me on that? I know, we all just had pancakes and connect So right now, if you need to reach over and punch your neighbor and say, wake up, we're not done. By the way, thanks to all of y'all who helped to put that on. That was wonderful. George, as always, there's no such thing as leftover sausage, is (laughs) there, (laughs) George? To Dave and Jackie and uh, uh, Kathy and you guys that that, uh, did everything, uh, all the cooking. Thank you so much for that. Uh, The fourth one, God's timing is not always convenient. How many of you know that's a fact? God's plan and timing are best and they're right, but they are not painless and convenient. You ever just think about Mary and Joseph and how many times Mary must have thought, God, I'd love to just have a little face-to-face conversation and tell you how lousy I think your timing is on things. I mean, seriously, if you're Mary... A young woman, I mean, who knows? Nobody knows for sure. But I imagine she's in her late teens. She's this close to being married. And God steps in and goes, now's the right time. You're going to be pregnant. Think about the culture. Think about this whole thing. I mean, if I'm married, I've got to be saying, come on, God. Could you not wait one more year? In a year, I'm going to be married. There won't be any scandal. Nobody's going to be shocked by this. It can still be your child. The Holy Spirit can still do the deal. It'll, just, it'll be just as real. It'll be just as you. Can't you wait one year and make my life a lot easier? I mean, think about what Mary has been through. She didn't run off to Elizabeth's house just because we need to catch up. We hadn't talked in a while. She ran to Elizabeth's house, you can bet, because she is being tormented where she is now. The story of, no, Joseph and I have not had sex. God made me pregnant. Did not sell well with mama or daddy or his parents or any of the neighbors. You can bet that all 200 people who lived in Nazareth in that day said, that woman is a slut. I'm probably not supposed to say that in church. Whatever, you insert the nicer term. She is a woman of ill repute. There we go. You know, they were were trash talking her. And poor Mary, she didn't ask for this. She didn't go, oh God, I want to be the mother of your child and I want it to be now. If God had waited one year, it would have been so much more convenient. We long for convenience. And God longs for maximum impact and maximum glory. And those two don't always line up, do they? I want God's plan to be fulfilled in my life, but I also want my life to be convenient. I want it to be comfortable. And God's after maximum impact and maximum glory for himself and what he does. And so the way he does it isn't always going to be convenient for me or for you. The fifth truth is this. At the right time, God can do anything instantly. And some of us just need to hold on to that hope. We could work 20 years to make something happen and it never get there, and then God, in one day or one moment of time, bring it to pass. I can only imagine how many questions and, and issues that Mary and Joseph had trying to figure out how this is going to work out, how this is all going to come together. I mean, think about the major obstacles that were in front of them and the things that God just had to step in and in a moment of time make right. I mean, one of the things that I have to imagine, I mean, we, we all, we sing these wonderful songs about Jesus' birth and, and about that night and I'm not trying to mess with that. I, I love the songs and I love the, you know, the warm feeling that it gives us. But I just have a feeling that there was way more chaos and pain surrounding that moment than there was the, you know, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. I mean, we can smooth the wrinkles out of things really nicely after the fact, right? We will rewrite history and make it all so sweet and nice. But real life is bestie as all get out, isn't it? I mean, like right now, we look around the room and go, oh, it's just such a sweet time. We're singing carols. Everybody's in peace and unity. Yeah, but how many of you had a fight on the way to church? How many of you got up this morning with a headache or a funk or a hangover? I mean, the reality of life is rough. It's brutal. Mary and Joseph were living the reality of life. Here's reality. She is nine months pregnant, got to ride a donkey or walk 80 miles. And I've been down those roads. It's rough. It's brutal. And they're on foot or on donkey back. Women who have had children, you tell me when you got to ride a donkey 80 miles and there is no Holiday Inn Express at every stop along the way, how happy are you? Are you singing, Oh, Holy Night, as you go along? Are you singing angels we have heard on high, wonderful little songs of praise? Or are you saying, Joseph, are we there yet? This is killing me. These are not happy moments, most likely. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. I don't think I am. I think this is a brutal season in in their lives. And, And here's what I think. I think they're a very poor couple coming from Nazareth. I think they don't have two nickels to rub together. And I think that multiple times during the week and a half that it would have taken them to go from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem that the question has come up probably initiated by Mary because women, you're, you are rightly so, so wired for security that she said, Joseph, how are we going to pay for this? We didn't have money for this trip. How are we going to pay for this baby? I mean, we certainly didn't plan to have a baby this quickly. We are not even married yet. We were trying to figure out how to pay for a wedding. And now we've been forced to leave home. It's not like you've got a job waiting for you. What are you going to do, Joseph? Where are we going to live? I mean, do you not believe that they're talking about this over and over along the way? And it's probably not just like, honey, I just want you to know I believe in you and it's all going to be good. And I want you to know I don't worry at all because I believe in you, Joseph. You are the man. Don't you know that there are times where she's losing her mind and he's losing his mind? There's no way this is going to work. And the baby comes and we're all singing, oh, holy night. And they're probably sitting there going, oh, holy cow. What are we going to do? Where are we going to live? What are we going to do for money? There's no easy way to solve this problem. And in a moment of time, strangers in extravagant garb come walking in and they bow and they begin to worship this child. They didn't just show up to worship. They brought gifts. And the first gift is gold. Gold. You ever wonder what these gifts represent? I mean, we believe that the the incense speaks to the fact that Jesus is is God. You burn incense to a God that they are acknowledging. This is not just a man, you know, baby to grow into a man. This is the divine among us. Myrrh, what you would use to bury someone that speaks to the fact that he has come to die for us. But the goal What's the gold about? I want to tell you what the gold is about. The gold is about the fact that these people are broke and they're about to be political refugees who have to run away and live in Egypt and they don't have any means to support themselves and God says I saw that coming because I was already ahead of you. I've already been there. I'm making a way and I want you to know I'll finance whatever you need. Hey, you guys living far in the east, I want you to come I want you to tell them what it's all about and I want you to bring gold to finance it and in one moment of time they go from being flat busted broke to probably being among the wealthiest people in Bethlehem that night that's how God works there are some of you right now you are so stressed because there is financial pressure bearing down on you or there is some other issue where you just go there's no way out I don't see how I'm going to get through this I don't see how and I want you to know in God's timing when the right moment comes he can do more in a moment than you can do in years and that's how he works he loves to just show up and do it in a moment Isaiah sixty twenty two, the Lord says this I am the Lord and when it is time I will make these things happen quickly so I'm curious what have you been in a hurry about what's been stressing you because it just won't come Is it graduation? Is it finding a woman, finding a man, getting married, having a baby, finding a job, getting out of debt? What is the thing that you've been waiting for? Well, none of us like having to to wait. God delays the fulfillment of many of these things. So maybe the fitting question for us now is, when you are in God's waiting room, Whichever of these things, or whatever, however you filled in the blank, when you're waiting for God to come through on that, what are you supposed to be doing? I'm going to tell you in six words from the Scriptures, and I'm going to speak a little King James to you. We don't use King James a lot, but uh, it's easy to remember these. Th- three things in six words for you to do when you're in God's waiting room, and that is to fret not, to forget not, and to fear not. You want to know what to do while you're there? Fret not. Forget not and fear not. For the first thing, fret not, means to be patient and to trust God. You realize the opposite of faith is fear and worry. When I'm struggling to believe that God's going to come through and I get scared and worried, that's the opposite of faith in my life. And I can only imagine Mary and Joseph when they've been told that they're going to raise the Savior of the world. Had lots of opportunities to fret about how this is going to play out. Not just how you're going to pay for it, but how are you going to do it? You hadn't raised a child yet. I mean, wouldn't we, from our perspective, say, okay, we've got to pick somebody to raise the Savior of the world? Who are you going to find? Well, let's find some really experienced parents. We want to find people who have raised at least four children, and they all have to have turned out well, right? You know who you're going to pick? We want James Dobson and his wife to raise these kids. That's who we're getting. The man who is behind, focus on the family. We want an expert. And God says, I'm going to pick some young people who've never even had a baby, who have zero parenting experience, and I'm going to let them raise my son. I'm going to let them teach the Savior of the world right from wrong, how to walk, how to talk, how to be a good human being. No pressure. No pressure. Think you might fret a little bit about that? you got to raise the Savior of the world. I think I'd be uptight about that. Psalm 31, David gives us a wonderful prayer to pray. I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God and my times are in your hands. Great, Great prayer for us to pray straight from the Scriptures. God, I don't know how you're going to make this work. I don't know when you're going to make this work. But I trust in you, you are my God, and my times are in your hands. Another great prayer from the Scripture, Psalm 69, 13 says, But I pray to you, Lord, so when the time is right, answer me with your wonderful love. How many of us have the courage to pray that prayer? I mean, we want to skip that phrase, don't we, when the time is right. And insert, how about today? But I pray to you, Lord, so when the time is right, answer me with your wonderful love. Pray and tell God what you need. God, I need a job. I need relief. I need financial help. But declare that you're going you're gonna to wait on his timing. Now, it's been my observation. See if you agree with this or not. But it seems like most of us, we're willing to wait as long as we can, can complain while we wait. I'm relatively okay with having to wait as long as I can gripe about it. Isn't that kind of how we operate? If I'm going to have to wait then I'm going to gripe about the situation I'm in and how God had not done what I need him to do. But David reminds us in Psalm 37, that's not the appropriate posture for us. He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. There's that line. King James says, fret not. Because of those who prosper in their way, do not fret. Fret not. It surely leads to evil deeds. What's he talking about here? When he's saying, While you're waiting on God, don't fret because of those who prosper in their way. Do you know what he's telling us here? He's saying, while you're in God's waiting room, you've got to be very careful to guard against something specific. You can't afford to compare your life to the lives of other people who are prospering in the thing that you're struggling with. If you're dying for the right person to come along, you can't fret over, look at this, God doesn't care about me. All my friends, I've got boyfriends and girlfriends, they're getting married. God didn't care about me. All my friends are having babies and we had not got a baby yet. God didn't care about me. He says, you start worrying about those who are prospering around you. Oh, they got a job. I don't have a job yet. They got the promotion. I didn't get the promotion. You start comparing to them and you will fret. You will get frustrated. You will lose faith and you'll begin to, to feel angry at God. And, and that's what he ends up saying. Don't fret because this will lead to evil deeds. What are the evil deeds? It's the junk, the stupid junk that you and I do when we get frustrated about God's timing and we go and try and manufacture our own answer. I can't find, you know, God won't bring me a woman so I'm going to go out and find one. Yeah, how does that ever work out? We start looking in all the wrong places and doing the wrong things to manufacture our answers because we don't like God's timing and so... We jump in. He says, don't fret. Don't compare. Don't fret over what's good going on in other people's lives. The second instruction is to forget not. That is to rehearse God's words. Imagine how many times Mary and Joseph must have had to do this over the course of the nine months and beyond. I mean, they both get one little angelic appearance We've already kind of walked through Mary's. Joseph over here, bless his heart. I mean, you can't fault him. that he He's just like, I'm not going to be ugly about it, but we are going to call this thing off. He's going to divorce her and, and just move on and be done with her. And the angel shows up and says, don't do that. This is from the Lord. She is going to give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus because he's going to be the Savior of the world. End of the story for today. And just, just like Mary's deal, that's it. That's, that's all you've got to go on. How many times do you think they had to share their stories back and forth with each other and just hang on to those promises? Because there's a thousand unanswered questions, and so they don't have the New Testament. I mean, what a gigantic advantage we have. We've got the rest of the story written out to rehearse. They've just got this, these tiny little pieces of it. How many times must Joseph have said, Mary, tell me one more time what Gabriel said to you. Just, just tell me word for word what he said. We need the anchor of God's word. We need to hold on to that. We need to rehearse it every single day. You'll need it in your life. Every day you may not realize that you need it. But there are going to be some key days that you don't see coming. You're going to desperately need God's Word in your life. And it's only going to be there if every day you've spent time reading, studying, and rehearsing what God says. James 1.25 says this, But the truly happy people, everybody wants to sign up for that, right? I want to be counted among the truly happy people, are those who carefully study God's perfect law, that is His Word, that makes people free, and they continue to study it. They do not forget what they've heard, but they obey what God's teaching says. Those who do do this will be made happy. You see the phrase in there. They do not forget. Don't neglect it. Don't forget it. So we've got to read it. We've got to study it. We've got to commit it to memory. I'm not saying this for guilt's sake, but when's the last time you, you committed to memory a verse of Scripture? Are you still actively doing the discipline of not just reading it, but committing to memory pieces of God's word so that you can call back on it because I mean some of the things that we've talked about today are verses that are worth committing to memory so we just go back and are, are praying that back to God or remembering it in, in moments of crisis in Psalm 1 the whole book of Psalms opens with these words great blessings belong to those once again sign am here for that I want to be among the happy and among the blessed belongs to those who love the Lord's teachings and think about them day and night so they grow strong like a tree that produces fruit when it should and has leaves that never fail or never fall everything they do is successful when you run across a line like that in the bible don't you feel like you need to just like get a pen and circle it and highlight it in everything they do they are successful Don't you immediately want to rewind and go, Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What do I have to do to get in on that? He doesn't make it real complicated. It it starts and revolves around this. They love the Lord's teachings and they think about it day and night. You want to be successful in life? You've got to get in God's Word and get God's Word into you. Now I realize... That's a challenge for a lot of people, just that basic discipline. And we always want to encourage you in that regard. We're about to start a new year and a new decade in just a couple of weeks. Why don't you let that be a priority for your life? I don't know about you. I'm already in that mode of reflection and thinking about what adjustments do I need to make for the coming year. For some, maybe the adjustment needs to be that daily getting into God's Word becomes a very real part of your life. We're always trying to encourage you in that regard. Um... This year, we've been reading through the New Testament together as a church, a chapter a day, the New Testament, and the book of Psalms. We're changing the plan for next year. I just finished writing out the plan for the coming year. We're going to do the Old Testament. And for those of you who would go, oh, don't don't be afraid of it. because you're, You're still going to do just a chapter a day. But what we're going to do, I think you'll find very enjoyable. I want to challenge you to do this with us. We're going to read through the entire narrative of the Old Testament. Now, bear in mind, the Old Testament... It's a lot bigger than the New. It's about four times the size of the New Testament. There's a big chunk of it. That's the narrative. It tells the story of of the historical events. And then there's a, a second section that is the wisdom books. And we're going to read through two of the wisdom books. We're going to do all of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And then there's a big section that's the prophets. We're only going to do a little bit in the prophets. I've pulled some choice pieces out. But you're not going to spend a lot of time in the prophets. You're going to get the whole Old Testament story. And... A big chunk of the wisdom and a little bit of the prophets. But you're going to start in Genesis 1 and you're going to conclude in Malachi 4. You're going to cover 366 chapters in 366 days. And it's not going to be overwhelming. And I think what you're going to find is that it's going to to just pull you in because we're so drawn to stories. And what you're going to get is essentially all of the stories of the Old Testament in one year. The stories of how God works in people's lives. And I think you're going to love it. I don't want you to start on day one with us, so get ready. You'll see it in the newsletter for January and online, and we'll put it in the preaching outline every week. But I want you to just go ahead and decide. Day one, I want to get in God's Word and Genesis 1 together, and we'll have fun going through that together. God's Word makes a difference, so rehearse it. Don't forget it. Hold on to the promises of His Word. And Third and finally is faint not. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep on. Hang in there. You can imagine the ridicule and the trashing that, Mary took and i mean the scoffing that Joseph must have gotten that he was willing to stay with her like what kind of fool are you that you'd stay with a woman it's not even your baby she's carrying they must have wanted to quit and walk away but you've got to hang on when you're waiting for the fulfillment of what God's called you to do Galatians 6 9 says so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good at the right time we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit, so what are you thinking about giving up on? What are you thinking about quitting? Are you thinking about giving up on your marriage? There are some listening today that that's that's going through your head. Are you thinking about giving up on the vision that God's given you the dream that He put in your heart? Are you thinking about giving up on yourself? Are you thinking about ending your own life? Because there's somebody listening today that that thought has been going through your mind to the point that you've even thought about how you would do that. That it would just be better to be dead than alive. And I want to tell you that's a lie from the devil. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Don't you give up on you. Don't you give up on God's purpose. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on the dream that God has given you. The thing you've got to do in God's waiting room is you can't faint. You can't quit. You can't give up. God's plan is going to be fulfilled, but you just can't give up. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about what we wait for from God. And we do wait for a lot of things in life. But I want to tell you this. You don't have to wait for everything. And there's at least one thing that you never, ever have to wait for God to go. Not time yet. I'll tell you when it's time. There's one thing that I can tell you it's always time for. Right now is the time for and. That thing is that today is always the right time for you to come back to God. Today's the best time to come back to God. Acts 3.19 says this, Now it's time to change your ways. Come back to God and He will forgive your sins. Then the Lord will give you times of spiritual rest. Do you just feel like you're at a a dry place or at a place that you know something is missing and you don't know what it is? I want to tell you, coming back to God is the only answer for that. And you may say, y- you don't understand, preacher. I- I've done things. Yeah, I-, I do get it. I've done things too. So has everybody else in the room? You may feel like, I- I've done things that God may not want me back. You may be saying, I don't think I can come back to God because I don't even know if God exists. I've got some serious doubts about God. You know what? God's bigger than your doubts. We've all had questions and doubts about God and God is bigger than that and God doesn't want that to stand in the way of you turning back to Him. We all carry doubts and struggles and here's what God would say back to you with deep love, I will take you back. Somebody say amen. God longs for us to come back today. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you and He wants today to be the day that you turn to Him and that you trust Him. 2 Corinthians six two. God says, I tell you that the right time is now and the day of salvation is now. Regardless of how you feel. Some of us get hung up on that. I, I just don't feel God. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We all feel all kinds of things. Your feelings will lie to you. You may just say, I, I've got... Thoughts that I can't get rid of that make me question God. I don't, I don't feel God. It's okay. You don't have to feel him for him to be real. He is real and he's calling out to you. He's inviting you. He's the reason that you're here today. Even though you may think, no, so-and-so nagged me to being here today or I came because of the pancakes. You may think all these other things are the reason. He's the reason that you're here today. He's the reason that you're tuned in online is to hear his voice saying to you, come back to me today would you join me as we turn to him together in prayer and as we bow would you just open your heart to the god who made you and who loves you and who wants you to be near him god thank you that you are good that you are faithful and that you're always on time thanks that we can trust you with our lives and with not only the present and the past but the future And I pray that you would help some of us who have hearts that have wandered from you or who've doubted you. That you would help us to just return to you. If that's where you are, you don't need to take some class or prep for this moment. Would you just from your heart say, God, I want to know you. I want to be near you. Would you help me to draw close to you today? Maybe you found yourself really frustrated with God lately because He has not done the things that you've wanted Him to do. You've been frustrated over His timetable and His answers or lack of answers. Would you just, as a child, just declare, God, I'm sorry for getting frustrated about these things. And I just choose to trust you. Maybe you're frustrated because you've been begging God to do a work in the life of your child or the life of your spouse. And it's been so hard to watch when things haven't gone the way you wanted them to, or as quickly as you wanted them to. But you can trust God with that. Would you just say, oh God, I give this back to you. I trust your plan and I trust your timing. And I receive what you have. Lord, thank you that you're good. Have your way in us, we pray in Jesus' matchless name.